Vashti of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, the second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season at a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in a holy place, let the reader understand it. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one 
goes in the field, not turned back to make his wife. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. If those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, Look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. False Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, Look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, Look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will, we, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the, suns will, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. From the big tree to learn its lesson, as soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, thank you, Sam and Susie, for reading for us. And uh, let me add my welcome uh, to Max, uh, to everyone here, and especially uh, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, as well as uh, everyone who's joining on Zoom this morning. Uh, my name is Huey, if we haven't met. And uh, I have the great joy and privilege of being uh, the minister uh, here in the 9 a.m. congregation. Uh, well, it'll be great if you can have uh, Matthew 24 open in front of you um, as we uh, look through this, this, uh, these uh, verses together. Um, and uh, not easy verses to understand, so I think we, we need God's help this morning uh, to understand it and apply it in our lives. So, I want you to join with me as I lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, giving us a wonderful day in which to meet together in. Uh, thank you for the great privilege of being your people and the joy of Christian fellowship, um, the opportunity to come together and encourage each other uh, with the words of the gospel. Father, we just pray that this morning as we open up the scriptures and as we uh, ponder the things that you say to us there, uh, we ask for your help. Uh, give us uh, humble hearts that tremble.
your word, and we pray for the work of your Holy Spirit, that he would be at work in our hearts, giving us understanding and prompting us to uh, point to practice the things that we hear today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, I've, I've often told the, the true story of 10-year-old Timmy Smith. Uh, Tilly Smith, if you uh, remember, was the young girl that saved the lives of about a hundred people at the time of the Boxing Day tsunami uh, many years ago. Uh, she was on uh, a beach in Thailand, holidaying with her family, when she noticed some very strange things happening. Uh, she noticed, for example, that the water was sort of receding from the beach. She noticed that the water was also frothing uh, on the top, on the surface. And she remembered from one of her geography lessons that this was a sure sign of a tsunami that was on its way. And so she told her parents, um, the family started to warn others on the beach, and those who heeded that sign were able to escape to higher ground where they uh, were saved. While those who ignored the sign were drowned on that particularly awful day. But sometimes it's important to understand the signs, isn't it? Uh, looking for the right sign can help you to act with wisdom and appropriateness, perhaps even to save your life. And I want to suggest this morning that the passage we are looking at is. Uh, in, in Matthew 24, is really all about a very important sign that Jesus speaks about. Now, you might remember that last week we saw Jesus speaking to his disciples about the end of the world, uh, the end of the age, which in Jewish thinking uh, is the final day of world history where God comes to judge the world, to judge the living and the dead. And uh, if you have a look at chapter 24, verse 3, uh, just uh, glance back at chapter 24, verse 3, you can see there that Jesus' disciples ask him about a sign. They ask, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Further, uh, what we saw last week is Jesus telling his disciples what the sign is not. What the sign is not. And so, for example, in verse 4, false Christ who come to lead people astray is not the sign of the end. In verse 6, wars and rumors of wars are not the sign of the end. In verse 7, famines and earthquakes are not the sign of the end. In other words, what Jesus says to his disciples is that these things are simply um, part of the fallen world in which we live in, and they are not to be understood as signs that the end of the world has come. Uh, you know, so many uh, religious sects and cults have tried to look for signs and predict the end of the world, haven't they? Uh, you might remember. Uh, Korean cult uh, many years ago. I think their, their name was uh, Dani 
were known as. But uh, they predicted that the world would end on the 28th of October, 1992. Uh, I still remember watching on the news um, as these cult members sort of huddled in the cold um, outside their, their headquarters, expecting the world to come to an end. But when the time came, and when the time passed, <laughs> uh, they walked sheepishly back home, uh, issuing a statement that they must have got the calculations all wrong. Uh, the running joke among Christians at the time was, uh, how do you comfort these people who have got it all wrong? Uh, well, you comfort them by putting your arm around them and saying, yeah, they it's not the end of the world. But uh, if the things that Jesus mentions in the beginning of chapter 24 are not the sign of the end, then I want to suggest that what Jesus goes on to talk about in today's passage is the sign of the end. And notice he begins in verse 15 by telling his disciples about something they will see. Something they will see. Uh, what is it that they will see? Well, they will see what he calls the abomination of desolation. Now, the word abomination is often used in the Bible to describe acts which are disgusting to God, repugnant to God, because it defiles his holiness. It's sometimes used of the idolatry of the pagan nations, um, which the people of Israel also um, take part in from time to time. It's sometimes used of pagan nations uh, coming into the nation of Israel to vandalize and destroy the temple of God, the holy temple of God in Jerusalem. Uh, the word desolation, on the other hand, means to devastate, to destroy, to bring to an end. And so what Jesus is talking about here is a defiling and destructive act of some kind. And that is going to be the sign that the world has come to an end. However, I want you to notice a number of important things that are connected with this abomination of desolation. Now, firstly, notice in verse 15, Jesus says that the abomination of desolation is something that is spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Uh, now, the language of abomination and desolation, um, if you've ever read the book of Daniel, is used in a number of different places. But the most prominent place is in Daniel chapter 11, which uh, is really a prophecy, uh, a prophecy about a king uh, who is described as the king of the north uh, coming down into Jerusalem to join forces with um, Jewish people who have uh, abandoned the covenant uh, with God, uh, those two uh, people uh, joining forces to desecrate and to destroy the temple that is in Jerusalem. In other words, this is a picture of a pagan ruler. Uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, usually when something comes from the north, it's talking about a pagan nation. So we had a pagan ruler who joins forces with um, rebellious Jews to 
justify something that is holy and perfect to God. Secondly, notice in verses 16 to 20 that Jesus tells his disciples that when they see this abomination happening, they are to flee. You see there that they are to flee to the mountains. They are to do it urgently so that they don't even go back to their houses to, to grab their valuables. And they are to pray that it, it won't happen during the winter months because this abomination will be so terrible. Thirdly, notice in verse 21 that at the time of this abominable act, there will be what Jesus describes as a great tribulation. However, if you look carefully, this isn't just any kind of tribulation. Rather, it will be a kind of tribulation and suffering and anguish that the world has never seen before and will never see again. But mercifully, you can see there that it will also be a tribulation that won't go on forever. It will be cut short, Jesus says, in order to bring salvation to those whom God has elected chosen to be his people. Fourthly, notice in verse 23 that around about this time, there will be false Christ and false prophets who try to lead Jesus' disciples away. And they will even perform great signs themselves and look very impressive so that his disciples will be tempted to deny Jesus as the Christ and go after these false Christ and false leaders in their lives. And finally, in verse 27, the event that Jesus is describing here will be an event that is public in nature. Uh, some of you might have seen the lunar eclipse uh, this week. Uh, how's that if you saw the, the lunar eclipse? Uh, I think it was on Thursday, wasn't it? Um, many of us have seen it, and even if we didn't see it, it was very hard to miss because it was being reported everywhere on social media and on the news. There was this huge blood red ball in, in the sky that you just couldn't miss. And that's Jesus' point here. That the abomination of desolation will not be a secret thing that is hidden and only on view for a few people. But rather, as Jesus says, like a flash of lightning in the sky, which is a very public thing, isn't it? For the vultures gathering around the corpse, uh, this sign that they are about to see is one that is going to be public and on full view for people to see. Now, here's the million dollar question What is this abomination of desolation that Jesus is talking about? What is this? abominable acts that he is describing. Um, I know we're all cold and uh, uh, frozen at the moment, so I think it might be a good idea if we can just turn to our neighbours and I'll give you just a moment to um, uh, talk about what you think this abomination of desolation is. Then um, we'll come back and I can do some of my things. I'll have fun with you that for a bit. Uh, Alright friends, uh, let, let's get back together. Um, I'm guessing that uh, uh, some of us will have very firm views on um, what this passage is talking about. Um, others may not be so sure. Um, I, 
this passage uh, in, in uh, God's groups. Uh, but uh, uh, I should just say that this is a very difficult passage uh, in the New Testament. And many sincere Christians uh, hold uh, different views on this passage. And um, I just want to say that that is okay. Uh, I think as Christians, we can actually have different views on different parts of the Bible. Um, in particular, on things that are not matters of first importance. Uh, you know, there are things of first order importance in the Bible that uh, we can't diverge on. Uh, things like the significance of uh, the death of Jesus on the cross, uh, the, the truth of his physical resurrection from the dead. Now, all those things uh, we cannot diverge on. Um, and if we do diverge on these things, outside of um, orthodox Christianity. But uh, I think the things that are, are in dispute in this passage are not of that order. And so um, I don't think we need to be alarmed if we hold different views on this passage. Um, but let me encourage us to, you know, whatever our view is, um, hold our views humbly and uh, uh, let's be charitable with our other people who might think differently to us, uh, because our goal is not to divide over these sort of things, uh, but to uh, help each other keep the Bible open, uh, to uh, understand what God is saying to us uh, better and more clearly. So uh, that, that's the aim uh, this morning. Now, uh, having said that, um, let me take you through a number of different views that have been suggested. Uh, one particular view says that the abomination of desolation is a reference to the destruction of the, the physical Jerusalem temple in the year 70 AD. Uh, that was the year uh, in which there was a, a Jewish uprising against the Roman forces in, in Jerusalem, and uh, the Roman army came, uh, laid siege to the city of Jerusalem, and uh, completely destroyed uh, the, the temple. Uh, it's an attractive view because uh, you might remember that at the beginning of chapter 24, Jesus has been speaking about the temple. And the thought of you know, filthy, pagan, Roman soldiers desecrating their temple would have been an abominable sort of, uh, uh, would have been seen as an abomination to many Jewish people. However, I think there are several weaknesses uh, with this particular view. Uh, one, it just comes out out of nowhere. Uh, the rest of Matthew's Gospel doesn't really major on what happens to the Jerusalem Temple. And uh, secondly, neither does the, the entire New Testament. Uh, I mean, can you think of any other passage in the New Testament where um, the, the destruction of the Jerusalem Temple is on view. Uh, there may be a few places here and there, but it's not actually a, a big deal in, in the New Testament. Uh, another view is that the abomination of desolation is a reference to uh, a future time of suffering, great suffering, before the second coming of Jesus. Uh, that's quite a popular view as well. Uh, in other words, what Jesus is speaking about here is not something that was in the immediate future of the disciples' 
that he's speaking to in the first century. But he's speaking about something that will occur before Jesus comes again in his second coming to judge the living and the dead. Now, uh, that has several weaknesses as well. Um, but the biggest weakness, I think, is if you come down with me to verse 34 of this passage, verse 34, Notice that Jesus says that all these things that he's been speaking about, and I think that includes uh, the abomination of desolation, that all these things will happen within the generation of the first disciples, or the lifetime of the first disciples. And so I don't think this can actually be a reference to what happens you know, in the future with Jesus that's still even future for us. Uh, so what do I think? Uh, well, my view has largely been shaped uh, by Moore College lecturer called Peter Bolt, uh, who uh, many of you might know. And that is that the abomination of desolation is speaking about the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. The trial and So, for example, uh, we saw in, in Daniel uh, a pagan ruler and rebellious Jews joining forces to destroy the temple. Uh, what do we see um, at the trial and crucifixion of Jesus? Well, we see a pagan ruler, Pontius Pilate, joining forces with rebellious Jews, the leaders of Israel, and conspiring to not uh, destroy the physical temple of Jesus, but to the ultimate temple, which is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, or what about Jesus' instructions to flee? Well, come over with me to chapter 26, verse 56. Chapter 26, verse 56, just a few pages over. Uh, what did the disciples do when Jesus is betrayed and arrested? Well, you can see there in that verse that they all desert Jesus and they flee at that time. that the world has ever seen. Well, what is the great, greatest tribulation that the world has ever seen? Isn't the greatest tribulation that the world has ever seen that great abominable thing that happened at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ where he took upon himself the wrath and fury and judgment and punishment of God the sin of all of humanity, including you. Isn't that the greatest tribulation that ever has been and ever will be? I don't know whether you've ever tried the magnifying glass experiment as a child. Uh, you know, if you go outside and you take the magnifying glass, um, what you can do is kind of um, push the, the awesome energy of the sun. Focus it on 
something that you don't like. Right, that's kind of what is going on at the cross, isn't it? And it's not just the physical suffering of Jesus that is offered here. It's the wrath and anger of God that ought to have been focused on all of humanity individually for our sins, being focused on Him and our faith. Notice also that this tribulation is cut short by God so that what Jesus does on the cross doesn't last forever. But He rises again to new life of salvation to the elect of Jesus Christ proper. Or how about the false Christs or the false leaders that try to lead the disciples astray? Well, if you read on in Matthew's Gospel, uh, you see people like Judas, for example, being led astray by the religious leaders and perhaps even his own greed as he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And even the great apostle Paul ends up denying the Lord Jesus Christ, denying that he ever knew him. Or how about the public nature of this sign? Well, the trial and crucifixion was not an event that happened in a secret corner somewhere uh, in this world, was it? No, it was a public event, witnessed not only by the disciples of Jesus, but even Jesus' enemies. It was a public event that went on the public record through the reliable witness testimony of his apostles. So friends, uh, the abomination of desolation that Jesus speaks about here, I think, is about what will happen to him at his cross, at his uh, trial and crucifixion. That's the sign that he tells his disciples to look out for because that's the sign that the end of the world and the judgment of the world is here. But why do you think it was important for Jesus to tell his disciples about this sign? Well, um, I think we're given a bit of a clue in verse 25 where Jesus says, See, I have told you beforehand. See, I have told you beforehand. It does seem, doesn't it, that in Jesus' mind it is important for the disciples to understand and to know that he has told them about these things before they actually happen. Why? Well, I take it that it's because when Jesus has been arrested and he's put on trial and he's ridiculed and he's humiliated and he looks weak and defeated, then the disciples will be afraid will be tempted to be led astray from him. Tempted to abandon their commitment to Jesus as Christ. And at that moment, they will need to remember that Jesus has told them about these things. And they are happening exactly as he has said. In other words, if you see things happening the way Jesus has predicted, then you know that he is sovereign. You know that he's in control. You know that he's faithful. You know that you can trust him. I want to suggest that this is so vitally important for 
sex level. Well, if you are a Christian person here this morning, my guess is that you and I have often been afraid in our worship. Is that true? Afraid of what others might think about us, or might do to us, or might say about us behind our backs because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. been tempted to go astray from Jesus as our Christ and to follow other things or other people who seem so much more impressive and so much more worthy of our trust and hope than a weak and suffering and crucified Savior. So what God is saying here, and he said, Jesus has said these things to you before. So when you see those things unfolding exactly the way he said, that he is sovereign, he is faithful, he is in control of your situation, and you can trust him. Well, uh, if the abomination of desolation is the trial and crucifixion of Jesus, um, you might want to discuss that over morning tea to see if you agree with me. But uh, you'll notice there that Jesus goes on to speak about something that will happen immediately after this uh, event. Now notice the words immediately there in verse 28. Um, and it says there, uh, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Uh, now it's true, isn't it, that some of these things actually happen at the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, what, what sort of things happen at the crucifixion of Jesus that kind of sounds like this? Have a, have a think about that and throw your hand up if you can think of anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's an earthquake and uh, even dead people were raised to life on that day and they're now dead people. and to destroy its sinners from it, 
for the stars of the heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Uh, you can see there that uh, it's a description of God's judgment on pompous and arrogant nations and individuals who set themselves up against God, namely the king of Babylon. Uh, it's written in what is called apocalyptic language, which uh, is, is very symbolic language. We saw this when we looked at the book of Revelation, for example, uh, last year. And so, uh, for example, that the stars in apocalyptic language represents rulers and, and the powers of the day. And it's still like that, isn't it? Um, think about how often stars are used on the, the, the national flags of nations. Um, they, they appear everywhere, don't they? And so, in other words, what Jesus is saying in, in Matthew 24 is that immediately after the crucifixion of Jesus, the arrogant rulers and powers and governments of this day day will be judged and will be put in their place by God. When will this happen? Well, you can see there that it happens with the coming of the Son of Man. In verse 30, Jesus says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, uh, when I first read uh, these verses, um, I assumed that this was talking about the second coming of Jesus. Uh, and it kind of sounds like that, doesn't it? You know, that's the day in the future when Jesus will come on the clouds of heaven to judge the living and the dead in this world. Some will find salvation for eternity, those who have put their trust in Jesus, but others will be condemned uh, to eternity in hell. But um, I don't actually think that that is what this passage is talking about. For the image of the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven is an image that is actually taken from the Old Testament book of Daniel. And so, uh, let's do one last piece of Bible thinking uh, now. Let's come back to Daniel chapter 7. Uh, this is the passage that was read out to us earlier by Sue. If you come back with me to Daniel chapter 7, uh, and in particular verses 9 to 14, uh, let's have a look at what's going on there. Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 to 14. Uh, now, the first thing I want you to see in Daniel chapter 7 is that it is describing a day of judgment. In verse 9, you can see that God, who is described as the Ancient of Days, is sitting on his throne. And uh, what is he doing? Well, in verse 10, he is sitting in fiery judgment of uh, rebellious nations and powers. And in verse 12, notice that the beasts who uh, represent the different kingdoms of the world uh, have their power and 
authority and rules stripped away from him. And in verse 13, there is one like a son of man that comes of the clouds of heaven. And he comes to the ancient of days to receive what is described in verse 14 as an everlasting dominion, an everlasting kingdom. In other words, this is a scene where all the kingdoms of this world, and all the rulers and nations who have set themselves up against God's Messiah, are stripped of all their glory, stripped of all their authority, which is given ultimately to the Son of Man, who now rules the world in glory and power. Now, now here's a question. Which direction is the Son of Man going in this passage? Which direction is the Son of Man going in Daniel's prophecy when he comes on the clouds? Anyone call it out? Towards God. So, of the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven to earth to judge the world, but the Son of Man going up uh, to the Ancient of Days to receive his everlasting kingdom. Can you see that? That's very interesting, though. And so if we go back to our passage in Matthew 24, uh, what Jesus is describing here is not his second coming where he comes to judge the world, I think what is being described here is the day of his resurrection and ascension to heaven where he is given an everlasting everlasting kingdom and where he is given a place at God's right hand. That is, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus is God's sign that the end of the age has come. It is the sign that every in opposition to Jesus has been judged and Jesus now sits on his throne to judge the world. One of the interesting developments in the New Testament, of course, is that while the end has come with the death and resurrection of Jesus, well, in another sense, the end hasn't come. Is that right? Because we're still waiting a moment in time, but it's actually a period of time uh, in the New Testament before God finally brings all things to a close. And why does God give us this period of time before the ultimate end of all things? he is giving time for sinful people to turn back to Christ before he finally comes to destroy everything and everyone who is in opposition to him. It's a bit like the gun amnesty that we had after the Port Arthur massacre. Some of you are older. 
the Council might remember that terrible day. And uh, what the government did uh, afterwards is that they decided to crack down on those who illegally hunt guns. But before they cracked down, they decided to give a little bit of a grace period where you could go to the government and voluntarily uh, hand your guns in. And if you hand, handed your guns in during that period of time, then message was clear. You have been put on notice, and if you don't hand your guns in now, you can expect the full force of the law to come down when that time of amnesty runs out. My friends, if you are here this morning, and you know in your heart that you are living your life in ignorance, in rebellion, or opposition to the Lord Jesus and ascension of Jesus to God's right hand is a sign that He is ruling the world now despite appearances and that one day you and I will face Him on the great judgment day. Dear friends, please understand that this is a time of amnesty. It's a time for, for mercy. who are disciples of Jesus, notice the times that we are living in. Jesus says in chapter 24, verse 31, that after the coming of the Son of Man, He will send out His angels, which are not necessarily winged creatures in the Bible, but uh, it can also mean messengers, people. Send out his people, his messengers, to gather God's elect from the four corners of the world. In fact, uh, that's exactly what Jesus does at the end of Matthew's gospel, doesn't he? He sends out his messengers with the words of the Great Commission, saying, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. So what I want to ask us this morning, do you and I understand the times that we are living in? Do you understand that this is the time of gathering, the ingathering of God's elect through the proclamation of the good news of Jesus? This is the time of mercy that God has given for people to turn back to Him while there is still time, and you and I are the messengers. 
sin is morning on the lips of Jesus. An instruction for his disciples to look for a sign. That's the lesson of this passage, to look for that sign. And you can see, it there, uh, see there in verse 32 that Jesus uses an illustration from nature. Uh, if you see leaves on a fig leaf, he says, that is the sign that summer is near. If you come over to my place, some of you might know there's a huge maple tree. And uh, around about this time, uh, all the leaves have just fallen off. That's the sign that winter is here. In a similar way, what Jesus says to his disciples is that when you see my death and my resurrection and my ascension to God's right hand, well, that is the sign that the end of the age is here and it's starting. For when Jesus died and rose again, it was God's sign. But there is no future for any person who stands in person and power and rule that is opposed to Jesus will one day be judged by God. So how are we to live in the light of this sign that God has given us? Jesus says in verse 35 these words, but in closing, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. In other words, friends, the way we are to live in these resurrection of 
Yeah. 